We can just turn that off. <laughs> this was today's sermon. And I think it's going to stay back here because it's going to distract me. <laughs> Sometimes that's how it goes. Let's open in prayer. We're going to need it. <laughs> Father, thank you for uh, just uh, for what you've done in us and what you're doing. And when I say us, you know I mean uh, just the church since the time you left this creation you've been building. Thank you we can get to be part of it. And I just pray you'd guide us as we open your word and just look at it today. See what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I had a really elaborate sermon to tie all this stuff together, but I, I'm just thinking that we need, to, we need to just open up a few passages like we just read, and we're just going to kind of soak in them today. As you guys know, for the past um, five weeks, we've been going through this idea of foundations, basics of our faith, and um, as noble as a task as that is, we can't hit everything, even in six weeks, probably not even in 52 in a year or more. Uh, there's so many things to cover. And uh, when we look at what is it that, um, that we're building upon, it can, it can just, there's, there's lots that we need to be anchored in. We've, um, as we've gone along to this series, we've kind of used this picture of building. You know, we've been building, um, we started with the foundation that was laid. First uh, Corinthians chapter two tells us that it's Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone upon which we're building, which is basically, uh, he's also like, that's like our plumb line. We have the apostles and prophets uh, who gave us the word of God, and that's also the foundation upon which we're built. And, but we are being built into a structure. And um, when we looked at those things, the, the importance of having a good foundation is because when we look at the world around us, we need this good, we talked a lot about Christian worldview. And we need a good set of lenses through which we view things, how we interpret uh, what's going on around us, how we make decisions about family or life or career, um, finances, or whatever it is. They all have to filter through a grid. They all have to have a good, solid Christian worldview. And you guys know that. It has to be based on reading the scriptures, but also reading the scriptures right. And so that's why we also talked about that. Um, but last week we started looking at, we finally were able to, after we got through, make sure we're reading the Bible in a consistent way, make sure we have a good view of the architect, the Lord. Um, we started looking at, well, what is it that we're actually building? And that's a two-part answer. There's a two-part answer to that. One of it, one of the, one of the answers, which is what we looked at last week, is um, our individual lives. And that really is actually more the materials with which we're building. But you kind of have to go back in time to look at some traditional architecture and how they built back then to understand how that works. They built with stones, right? And the stones weren't just, they didn't come out of a factory, at least not typically. They were hewn, they were shaped, they were carved. Um, and some of even the science of how they, they put together stones back then, like how the Egyptians built the pyramids, baffles us to this day. But each of those stones was very specifically cut, designed, built for that building. And the picture that we looked at last week and that we can see is that's us. Uh, turn to the, if you look in your uh, bulletin, there's a reference there uh, to First Peter. We didn't get to look at this last week, but um, Weston illustrated this through uh, a picture of the Wailing Wall over in Jerusalem. But First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 tells us the same thing. Actually, starting in verse 4, it says, You come to him, a living stone rejected by men, 
That's the cornerstone that was rejected, right? The cornerstone was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in the scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So this is this, is this concept. Peter picks it up as well, but it's the same thing we've been looking at that Paul has been championing in 1 Corinthians and then Ephesians. So turn over to Ephesians because that's where we're going to be today, and that's where we'll be um, studying. But we, we've come to this idea of we're individually stones that are being shaped, right? We're being formed and molded. And we have a responsibility, a personal responsibility, to come before the Lord and say, how do you want me to be shaped? What do you want me to be? Remember 1 Corinthians 6 last week, said 6.19 says, you were bought at a price. You're not your own. I purchased you. You're my stone. I want to make you into something. So God is working on us individually, and he uses his Holy Spirit to do that. The funny thing, and this is where it starts to rub us wrong, is um, quite often God uses his Holy Spirit through the lives of other believers. And we have to lay down some pride to let that work happen. Sometimes the chisel that comes at you is uh, in the hand of another believer. And sometimes, I'll even say, we have to sift through those believers' own sin natures to see God is still using that person. Maybe the way they talk to me um, was very abrasive. Maybe that wasn't the kindest way, but at the heart, I can see they got that from God. That, that came from the Lord. I really do need to work on that area in my life or whatever it is. This is how God set up the church. We have to be, we have to have a little thick skin. We have to realize that this is, this is how we work together. We are chiseling on each other. But really, um, I told you to turn to Ephesians, but turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because I want to just recap on that because it's so important. When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses um, specifically 12 through 15, this judgment that talks about building with gold, um, precious stones, or with wood, hay, and stubble, that's specifically referring, I believe, and I think you can support it from the text and other texts, it's talking about building into the lives of each other. So you have a responsibility not just to come before the Lord and say, what do you want me to be? But you also have a responsibility to say, and how do you want your Holy Spirit to channel through me to your church? How do we do this? How do we do? And, and you will be judged someday of whether you build into your brothers and sisters wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, precious jewels, things that will withstand in the end. And that's what this judgment is about that we see there. Now, Ephesians, and this is, um, we've been dancing in and out of Ephesians um, all throughout uh, the study, and I think it's just a good place to end. But um, I wanted to look today at not just the fact that we are individual stones, but what those stones are built into, and that is the church. <clears throat> when we talk about the church, um, quite often we can mean a couple different things. We can talk about the local church. Oak Grove is a local church, but it's part of a bigger church. And so when we talk about the church, we're talking about all believers since Christ. We're not, we're not talking about going into the Old Testament. There's a different program that God's doing with Israel and there, and, and we're not talking about that. God started doing something specific um, when Jesus Christ came and he said, I will build my church. And that's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. It's a window, it's a block, it will finish, and God has a plan he's going to resume with Israel, and even now he's doing somewhat. 
but we're talking about this group of believers, this thing, this entity called the church, and that encompasses all believers. We here at Oak Grove, we're a local church. We're, we're a small, in, in some ways we're autonomous, you know, we're self-governed, we're self-disciplined, we have like our own little system that we run, but we are not the end all. And you guys know that, but no church is the end all in spite of how much sometimes we operate that way. We are part of a bigger piece, and we have to see it that way. Last week, when we talked a little bit about spiritual gifts, we saw that God gifts each of us to help build like a local building, and that's kind of what we have here. We have some in here that are gifted to be teachers. Some are administrators. Some are servants. Some are um, givers. Some are whatever. There's, There's these different pieces that God decides this is necessary for this body to function. But I would invite you to also think of the church in a, in a grander scheme and see that churches themselves can be members of a bigger body. And some churches are feet churches, and some churches are hand churches, some churches are really heady, and some are great for new believers or old believers, and, and, and there's different functions of how this church works throughout the world. Oak Grove, the way Oak Grove is set up, is a unique kind of model that allows us to do a lot of sending. We can Um, Because of how we can do our budget and stuff, we can do a lot of money to missions. Not every church is supposed to operate that way. Yeah, it's just, that's just, maybe we're a foot church, or maybe we're a hand. I don't know if that's like throw the ball or whatever we are. But, you know, there's, you you look at it that way. And if you start looking at the church in an area, you can see, oh, you know, even in Palisadro, there's different versions of this church. And they, they, they've served different functions. Some are set up to do really well with children's ministries. And some are really good with the elderly. And some are really good with the youth. We have to be able to be open to that. But when we look at the universal church, we, as a collective group, are all coming together to still build one thing. And that's what I want to call our attention to because it has a specific purpose. Um, when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we see this, this verse that we've come over um, time and time again. Um, in verse 20, it talks about how we're built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We see this, this aspect of the Spirit is the one building us, and the Spirit is also the one inhabiting the building. And you see... Um, that, that the whole purpose of what's coming together here is the Holy Spirit has something he wants to do. So when you look at, um, yes, the global church and the individual church, you're going to see the Holy Spirit working in both ways. And we, we look at it that way. But there's a greater purpose going on here. And um, if you go through Ephesians, you'll see a lot of these references to the heavenly places. But I would encourage you to look down at verse 10, where it talks about um, this aspect. It says, through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known to, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's something going on in the mystery of the church. Paul talks about it um, about throughout Ephesians and in other books. There's this mystery. The Old Testament didn't see this. They didn't see there's a church coming. They didn't see what this would be, what this would look like. But Paul's talking, hey, we can now see it. It's not just Jews. It's, not gen- it's, a, it's a combination of Jews and Gentiles. We come together. But God's purpose for bringing this church together is so that he can make known his wisdom to the authorities and rulers in the heavenly places. That should really cause us to pause and think. There is, there's something supernatural that we don't see here on earth, but that God is doing through the church. That is, that is an amazing work. 
he's showing in this spiritual battle that we're not privy to with our own physical eyes. He's demonstrating power. Um, throughout, throughout this, it says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Um, earlier, we saw um, some positional things about Christ. If you go into chapter 1, you say the same phrase of heavenly places. Um, it says in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, um, he worked in Christ when he raised him, Christ, up from the dead and seated him up at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every other name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. Put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2, verse 6, you see him talk about how we are raised up with him, seated with him in heavenly places. And if you guys know Ephesians and have studied it a lot, you know in chapter 6, we get into the armor of God and where we're actually putting on armor that has to do with doing battle in the spiritual heavenly places. What does this all mean? It means that Christ, God is doing something bigger than us. He's doing something bigger than Oak Grove. He's doing something bigger than the church in Palestine. He's doing something bigger than the church in the whole world. He's making a name, and, and, and he's making a point, as it were, in heaven, in the spiritual realms, and with Satan and with his demons about what the wisdom of God looks like. And the cool thing is, we get to be part of that. It's not just that God's just doing it. He invites us into it. He brings us into fellowship with him, to be part of that, where we're not just seated alongside Christ, we're seated in him. We are, we are with him. We are in, um, we, we are, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are part of him. And that's this whole aspect that we see in chapter 1, verse 22, of him being the head of the church. It's not just that Jesus is doing this on his own, we get to be part of it. And that, when we look at what is the church, what are we building, this is it. It's we get to be part of something great that God's doing. So when we get into chapter 4, and we start looking at spiritual gifts, <clears throat> and we look at um, the purpose of the spiritual gifts, we see that um, Christ, you know, he, was, he went to the cross, he was buried, he was raised, he was exalted above every name, <clears throat> excuse me, and we're seated with him. That's the logical progression we've made through Ephesians, if you were to study all that. But by the time you get to chapter 4, he's saying, because of this, you need to have unity. On the basis of this, if you are seated in Christ, if you're part of this eternal purpose, then have unity. Be unified. Be one, because we have a singular purpose. And he comes down to verse 11. He's, well, right before that, he says, Christ got gifts. Basically, when he ascended, he, was, he received gifts. We're told you know, he, he had to leave to send the Holy Spirit. So when he ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit. And in verse 11, it says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And the reason for this, these spiritual gifts, was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for building up the body of Christ. What is the work of the ministry? The singular work of the ministry. I think this is something that's been redefined in our culture especially in America. If someone says, as a young man or young woman, says, I, I really want to be a missionary. I, I want to go to school to, to be a pastor. We say, oh, so you're going into the ministry. Good for you. 
as I read this, pastors and teachers, they're not the ones in the ministry, necessarily. Their, their gifting is to equip the saints for the ministry. See, every one of you, if you've trusted in Christ for salvation, you are in the ministry. There's no getting out of it, sorry. You're all ministers. You're all part, and that's that priesthood that we saw in 1 Peter just now talks about that. We're priests, we're ministers. We're all in the ministry together. Now we have different giftings. We have different um, abilities. Some of them are natural gifts. Some of them, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to be a really good leader or a really good speaker uh, or a really good musician. Some of those are natural gifts that we can dedicate back to God for building the kingdom. But ultimately, um, we, we also have, as Christians, we have spiritual gifts. And those are the very unique things that were given specifically like this, pastors or teachers or shepherds. We have one work of the ministry. So what is it? I think it goes back to the Great Commission. And it's that simple. It's not that complicated. Be a disciple, make a disciple. Keep it up. And keep doing that. Keep that cycle going. Go into all the earth. Make disciples. Remember at the beginning of this series, we talked about the fact that um, in the early church, when someone trusted Christ for salvation, they weren't called uh, a Christian. Not yet. That term hadn't even been coined yet. They just, it just simply said, and there was added to the number of disciples, 5,000 that day. They all were instantly called disciples. It was just assumed, if you're going to put your faith in Christ, you're a disciple. That wasn't like, a, oh, you've trusted Christ, great. Now, later we need to have a discipleship class so you can learn whether you want to do that thing. Or if you just want to be like a class one Christian, the class two are like the serious ones. No, like it was, it was one and the same. There was no distinction. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And I really believe this is the work of the ministry, to be disciples and to make disciples. And we have to get back to that simplicity. If it sounds overly simple, if you're saying, I've heard this a million times, you're right. You probably have if you've been in the church for any amount of time. But that's why I get to talk about it in a series on foundations. This is back to the basics, after all. But if you're like me, the longer we're in the faith, sometimes we can get distracted. And we can get off course. We can start focusing on things that are other, um, not as important, or are just busy work, as it were. Um, even in the church, we have to be very careful of this. We can get caught up in programs and systems and, and things that occupy our time, and we tell ourselves, oh, we're doing ministry. Well, are you? Are there disciples coming out of that ministry? Are you following the Lord as, as a greater result of you being involved in that? Or are you just occupying your time? Are you just telling yourself, well, I dedicated my time to that, so it's got to count for something. It's going to be really sad on the, on the day when God says, yeah, sorry, that was wood, hay, and stubble. I, I don't want to end up there. And I'm, I need to reevaluate a lot of things in my life as a result of that, how much busy work I'm doing versus things that are actually resulting in disciples. Turn, um, if you would. Well, actually, no, don't turn yet. I really want, since we're in Ephesians, this, this aspect of, um, he carries his theme through, and we're only picking and choosing some stuff, I realize. But you have to see, like, the main theme here going through is Christ won the victory. He opened up the door so you can be bonded with him. You're bonded with him by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells you. He does the work. He's building you. He's building into each other through you. There's a lot of spirit. There's a lot of unity with Christ. But it really is It's this beautiful analogy. And I can't really skip over this because I was just at Greg uh, McKinley's wedding two days ago. And it was just 
seeing the beautiful um, ceremony, but also just the reminder of marriage. And um, just seeing that and re- being reminded of Ephesians 5, where we look um, in verse 23, it says, the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself the savior. As a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her, for her, that he might sanctify her, that is, that is wash her, purify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This, uh, quite often, I think we can come and look at this marriage passage and we think of, um, like, well, marriage always existed, and then God, when he needed to make, come up with an illustration for how Christ relates to the church, he decided, oh, you know that marriage thing you do? Let's use that as a picture. It's not that way at all. When you look at the fact that you're dealing with the God who invented this thing called marriage, he invented the two sexes. He invented the two halves that make a whole. He, he, he designed the thing. He designed it to be complementary of husband and wife, man and woman, and it was because he was seeding throughout all of human history the idea of Christ and the church. He was putting a, a permanent analogy there so that when we saw the way that Christ acted someday, we say, oh, that's what marriage is supposed to be. But it's also because, and if I can get a little uh, poetic here, it's because Christ looked forward and romantically saw his bride. And he designed, even through the fall, even seeing the fall and what would happen, he designed the whole thing to be a picture of his, his romance with the bride. We, as the church, the collective church around the world and throughout the centuries, we are the bride of Christ. We're not of this world. We're called out. We're called into a relationship with him. When he talks about being seated in him, it's not just like, hey, you're with me. Like, it's, it's a marriage picture. It's a relationship picture. It's a there is nothing between us picture. The fact that we can have the Holy Spirit is picture or is proof that everything was taken care of on the cross. But it's more than that. It is the fact that we are built into him. And it's it's a wonderful thing. He is interested in our sanctification because he doesn't want there to be things between us. He doesn't want there to be sin blocking our relationship with him. And it's out of love. It's not just because you're supposed to do it. And I encourage you, as we look at foundations and how you build your life, you, you, you can't look at the scriptures in your relationship with the Lord in just a, a regimented law kind of relationship. It's a husband-wife relationship. Now, I think as the picture goes, we're technically engaged to him right now. I don't know how it all works. Um, and and you know, the wedding day is coming, and that's a beautiful thing. But, but we, we need to be looking at it in that relationship because that is how Christ looks at it. To close, turn over to that, that um, passage that Millie read in chapter 21 of Revelation. Because here we actually see again the same terminology, bride. And this used to confuse me until literally last night as I was looking at this. Um, it just suddenly, whoa. I don't know why it never cut on. Here we're talking about all this building analogy, right? We're talking about, um, you know, you, your stones being built together into a dwelling place. And yet, you fast forward, and John has this revelation of the end, 
and a prophetic vision of it. And the angel tells him in verse 9, he says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me what? The holy city. I used to get really confused about this. Because he says, I'm going to go show you the bride, and then he shows them a city. But what have we been talking about? It's not just a picture. We are literally, in some way that we can't really understand yet, we are literally a building. The stone pictures being built together into a dwelling place of the Lord. Um, I mean, what does it say right there in verse 12? It says it had a great high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels, and on the names, the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. And then in uh, verse 14, um, we see that the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb are there right on the foundation. Isn't that what we read in Ephesians 2, chapter 20, that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets? We are literally being built into a dwelling place of the Lord. And when John was carried up on this mountain to see this, he was seeing the building all put together. All 2,000 years plus, all those stones put together in a wonderful way. And yeah, I mean, it does talk about the fact that we dwell within that city too. I don't understand how this all works. We are the city and we dwell within it. Okay, I'll accept it. There's a lot of things in heaven I don't get. Um, but all the pictures that we see of streets of gold and stuff, they come right out of this passage. Like heaven, don't think of the streets of gold and stuff being as heaven. Think of that as, as the final, finished, completed product, the bride who is pure. And that is what God is so excited about. That is what Christ gave his life for to purchase, was that bride, that pure, awesome bride. And we get to be part of that. So when we look at anything, when you look at having a Christian worldview, it needs to look backwards, it needs to look forwards to this day, but you also need to look at all this, of what are we being built into. When you interpret events around the world, you need a good grid. You need to have a good, solid why for your answers to everything. You know, you need to have a good, solid why for why you do marriage, why you do single, why you have kids, why you don't, why you have a career, why you are self-employed or an employee. Anything you do, you need a good, solid why. And you got to have that Christian worldview, but it's going to filter through these things. It's got to filter through what's your life purpose. What am I being called to? What is God making me into? And sometimes that's going to look differently for each one of us. That's why we have, that's where legalism can creep in if we're not careful. We take something that this applied to me, and so now it should apply to everyone. It's not going to be that way. That's where the grace of God comes in. We're being shaped, but, so we have to come before the Spirit and say, how do you want to make me? But ultimately, don't lose sight of what we're being built into. It is relational. It's about having a husband that loves us, that is making us, and is looking forward to a wedding day. But he's also making us into just uh, an incredible new creation, the bride of Christ. And so that's kind of what I think the Lord wanted us to look at today. There's so much more to look through, of course. But um, just it's fitting, too, as we think about communion, um, singing, centering around the table of the king. Um, it's looking forward to that day. So uh, let's, let's look forward to that um, together and encourage each other towards that day. Lord. We, we cry with the church of the centuries that you come quickly. And we do uh, look forward to that so much. But Father, I, I know you gave your son and, and his spirit uh, to us 
to do something while we're here. And I pray that we would just be fired up about that. We'd be excited about building your kingdom, building your church. Help us, Lord, to find, um, to find someone else to disciple. To find one, even one or two or three this year, or 30, 40, that we can pour this message into, that we can pass it along. And help us, Lord, to have the humility to be shaped by you, even if it comes through our brothers and sisters. Just, Lord, work in and through us to make us into what you want us to be. We uh, eagerly await your return, so come soon. In your name, amen.